Yo, what up, everybody? It is Mr. R-O-Double-D back with another episode. This is episode number two of the ATO podcast. How y'all living today? I'm doing great this morning. It's Friday morning. I'm recording this as of right now, 9, 10 a.m., um, right before game four of the NBA Finals tonight. Um, wasn't able to get to y'all right after game two recap, but, um, I'm going to just combine a little bit of game two and game three recap and all honesty game two recap isn't as important as game three recap in my honest to God opinion, because the night and day difference between what happened in game two to game three is astounding is astounding like let's be 100 percent honest the game to recap even though it was a good game by golden state i'm just gonna go over this just a little bit because i really want to focus on game three but game two i never really felt like golden state had a full handle of the game as bad as boston played as bad as boston shot may i say as bad as they shot, I never felt like I never felt like Golden State was just running away with the game. I never felt like Golden State was just really asserting a dominance. I think it was just an overly physical game. I believe uh, the referees let Draymond get away with uh, murder <laughs> because some of the stuff Draymond was doing, and we're definitely going to get into. Draymond, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into the podcast stuff or all the other stuff. I'm strictly going to focus on what he's doing on the court. Me personally, I can care less because at the end of the day, and I'm gonna say this just so people can know. At the end of the day, yes, they get paid a lot of money to play basketball. Yes, this is the biggest stage of basketball, but let's not act like people don't have a life outside of basketball. Now, I'm not defending nothing that Draymond did. I'm I'm letting that know, let that be known now. I'm not defending nothing that he did. But we seen players leave and go to the club after a game. We seen players just do whatever in the world (laughs) they do after a game. Yes, in in the finals. Let's not act like it never happened. But um, I'm going to strictly focus on what he does on the court because what he been doing on the court, yo, Draymond, you are wild, son. <laughs> like, that is crazy, some of the stuff you've been doing. Um, but like I said, game two, they really let him get away with murder. But all honesty, man, game two really mm, – how can I really explain this without explaining it? But game two really wasn't, it really pretty much sealed what this series is about. And in my honest to God opinion, this is what this series is going to come down to. Youth, athleticism, size, rebounding, turnovers. Those five things. So youth, can Golden State out out 
out-execute the youth of the Boston uh, Celtics? Can they make can they make Boston look bad for some of their youthful mistakes? And granted, they're not making a lot of them. And, and the ones that they do make, they're so small and minute. And the simple fact that athleticism really covers up a lot of their mistakes because, let's be real, they just – they look like the more athletic team. They Their size difference, like, I really felt like Golden State is super small compared to the Celtics every time they walk on the court. Youth, size, athleticism. And what was the other one I said? Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Um, rebounding. Like, in all honesty, like, game three, just I, I expect to see more of that in game uh, four where they just assert their dominance on the board in game uh, um, in turnovers. Golden State have to learn how to control their turnovers and cause more turnovers so they can get more easy buckets. But even when Golden State did cause turnovers, Boston is giving such a championship effort. Like, you remember the play in game three where – can't remember who turned it over, but I want to say it was Derek White. I just know he got back. So it's Steph Curry and Gary Payton, um, Gary Payton Jr. on the break. Derek White stopped Steph Curry at the three-point line to stop an open three. Steph Curry passed the ball. He then proceeds to turn and sprint and contest, even though it was a foul, he contests Gary Payton Jr. And that is the epitome of championship effort for the simple fact is I'm not going to give up on the play, especially after I just gave up a turnover. So that is just one of the one things that I just I admire about Boston. Now, mind you, I did say the Warriors were going to win in six, but the more and more this series goes on, the more and more I get worried about it because Boston looks like the superior team. So I'm really I'm really excited to see what happens in Game Four. I want to see Steve Kerr make adjustments. I really do. Um, outside of just X's and O's, he needs to get more youth and athleticism out there just to give him an energy boost, just to give Steph Curry a chance to really – I ain't going to say rest on defense, but that way they won't. he won't be attacked so much on defense because athleticism can definitely uh, hide some of those smaller weaknesses such as getting Steph Curry on the switch. Lord knows I'm going to talk about that. Jesus Christ. But um, that's pretty much it for game two and just the recaps. So what I really want to get into now is the adjustments that Boston has made. I really love the adjustment Boston has made. And can I say this? Can we truly say this? Even though Jason Tatum is the best player on the team, Jalen Brown is really making a strong case for finals MVP. Like, he's been more consistent than Jason Tatum. And granted, Jason Tatum gets way more attention. But the simple fact that JB is stepping up as a strong number two is really, really, he's really making a case for 
Finals MVP. Game game uh game one where he went on a 10-0 run practically by itself. This game, game three, he practically scored the first uh 14 points uh for the team. And I know he didn't score all 14, but he had an effect on all of those points for the simple fact his activity running the floor, knocking down shots. And you want to know what's crazy about JB? JB really don't have what you call a, a tight, just crafty handle. He's so explosive, though. So when he does get that space to just operate and handle the ball, he, man, he's so explosive. So if I was Golden State, I'll pressure him more because Jalen Brown has shown that under pressure, a lot of pressure, he will turn the ball over. Um, I, that's one thing that I will say about Jalen Brown. Um, his handle is loose. That's something that I'm pretty sure he definitely identified that he needs to work on this summer. And I'm pretty sure the people he's around saying the same thing. Well, not right now, at least. But I know for a fact they will make that adjustment. Uh, coming up this summer. You remember when uh, JV had Draymond Green on him? Draymond was guarding him majority of the game, which I don't know why, but I guess. But Derek White had Steph Curry on him, and they were on the left side of the floor. And Jalen Brown was at the almost the three-quarter mark of the court. Not quite at half court, but at the three-quarter mark. Derek White proceeds to sprint up there and about to set a screen to get the switch for Curry. He waves off Derek White and says, stay strong side corner. Because everybody in basketball know when the floor is full on the on the right side, the weak side is the right side, and you have a strong side three-point shooter in the corner, they're not going to really help. It's more of a stunt and get back. So when he did this, not only did he say, I got this, Draymond's in front of me, cook me, but he understands that if I drive hard, I attack and put pressure on the rim, I is no help. Is no help coming from the strong side corner. And you can't help from the weak side corner because the way Boston was moving the ball, a dribble early was beautiful. So these little small things that they're doing really just making Golden State look bad because they're playing extremely simple basketball, easy concepts, easy basketball concepts. So um, also – one of the main things that um, Boston adjusted on is they just start crashing the board. They understand that they got a size and athleticism difference. They out-rebounded Golden State by 15 rebounds. 15. 14 of those were offensive. So when you get 15 extra possessions, then Steph Curry, and yes, I said Steph Curry because in all honesty, outside of Steph and Andrew Wiggins, Clay had a showing tonight, uh, uh, game three, but yeah, he been a no show for the most part. Um, but they out rebounded the look. Everything that was coming off the rim, Boston damn near grabbed or had a hand on. 
It was no clear, definitive rebounds. And the one thing that I hated the most that Golden State did, their lack of urgency. Like the reason they got out-rebounded a lot of the times was how many times did you see the ball hit the ground, bounce one or two times, and it's two or three Golden State Warriors around it, and no one pursued the ball. And it was an instant where I remember vividly where I think it was Marcus Smart. I can't remember who shot the ball, but I remember the exact sequence of when it came off. It came off high and short. So it's Robert Williams. It's Gary Payton. Gary Payton Jr. Uh, It was Steph Curry, Draymond, and Andrew Wiggins all around the ball. The ball hits the ground. It comes off the rim high. Mind you, it was high miss. High and short. High. Comes off. Hits the ground once, bounce again twice, and everybody just look at the ball like, you going to get it? And the only one who pursued the rebound was Robert Williams, and he got the offensive rebound. Like, those are plays, these, these are moments in game three that really solidified Boston dominance, their urgency to come out and play with energy to assert their size. Those were plays that really, really um, epitomized the game, the game three. Golden State did not come out with no type of energy. They came out flat. They came out lethargic. They came out like they just automatically assumed that Boston was going to roll over. That's how I interpret that. So to see them not gang rebound, especially when you, you lack the size that Boston does, you lack the athleticism that Boston does. So when you get out rebound by 15, that is an effort thing. Rebounding is literally one of these one of these least skillful, least most skillful thing to do in basketball. The least because all it requires is proper technique and want to. A skill because a lot of people can rebound the ball because they understand how how the ball comes off the rim. And this is where you hear people always say the term, he got a nose for the ball. She got a nose for the ball. It's because they understand, all right, they're shooting from this spot, nine times out of ten, it's going to come off this way. If it comes off hard, it'll come off this way. I already know when people shoot from the corner, it's mostly two ways that the ball is going to come off. It's going to come off short, short and towards the middle, or is going to come off long and on the other side of the corner. That's basic, just basic common sense when it comes to just rebounding, in my honest God opinion. What's common may not be so common, but I understand these things. So to be out-rebounded, to not gang rebound, to not hustle, to not go out the loose balls, like, it's embarrassing. I don't care what anyone says. Like, you cannot be out-rebounded. You cannot be out-hustled and out-rebounded when you're the smaller team. You're supposed to be quicker to the ball. That's the reason why you play small, you know. But Golden State really has no choice. So, they really have to make that adjustment. (laughs) And can can we just address, it's not even an elephant in the room. It's just like, everybody knows it. You know, when you... You know when you're in the room and it's some drama between two people and 
everybody knows it, but don't nobody want to say anything. Now, <laughs> me, I'm a typical butthole, so I will address the situation than walk than rather walk around intention. So the reason I say this is because the drama that everyone does not want to talk about, honestly, for real, for real, is the fact that Draymond Green is not being guarded. Is no. Let me say something. Let me say this. This is real talk. This is real talk. Honest to God. Honest to God opinion. Draymond Green is getting the Ben Simmons treatment. And when I say the Ben Simmons treatment, and the only reason I say the Ben Simmons treatment because everybody know how he played the last time we saw him play. They're not guarding Draymond. Draymond should be ashamed of himself for the simple fact that they're literally playing like every time he's off the ball, the person who's guarding Draymond is literally just doing a quarterback spy. That's all they're really doing. They're not even worried about Draymond. The only time they worry about Draymond or their attempt to guard him off ball is when he slips to the basket. So that's the only time. Outside of that, when he's outside of that three-point line, they're literally quarterback spying Steph Curry. So anytime he comes off a pin down, anytime he comes off any floppy action, split action, they're just blasting Steph Curry immediately because they're not worried about Draymond. And it's all Draymond's fault. You know, we're going to discuss that a little, little bit more uh, in depth. So now now that we got that out of the way, Draymond really needs to make that adjustment to be a scoring threat in order for Boston to at least try to guard him. But Draymond won't even look at the rim. All he's doing is pointing. And don't get me wrong, it's, it's nothing wrong with dictating the offense. It's nothing wrong with getting as much movement on offense as possible. But my, as I was taught, when you first get the ball, check rim. Check the rim. It's just that simple. Because you don't know if you got an open shot. And in Draymond's case, he knows he has an open shot. But for whatever reason, he's looking. He ain't even looking at the rim. He's just throwing that. He throwing it away. He throwing it. He tossing it around like hotcakes. It's it's ridiculous. So he has to he has to figure out how to get Boston to guard him. And honestly, it ain't hard to figure out. He has to be a scoring threat. It's just that simple. And can we address this honestly? And. Man, this is this is crazy to say that Boston have two defensive players of the year on their team at the same time. And the and the most dynamic part of it is one is on the perimeter and one is in the paint. And that's the most dynamic. When you have that type, those two types of players on defense, it make it extremely hard for other people to score. And then the simple fact that Jalen Brown take pride in playing defense, Jason Tatum take pride, and Al Horford, the old the old swan, his still can move his feet for a big fella. He takes pride in his defense. So the fact that you have five people on the court at all times that take pride in their defense, Derek White plays great defense. Peyton Pilcher played great defense. Um, 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 dang, I'm forgetting this. Grant Williams, he's taking pride in his defense. Big body, strong, and he's not backing down either. I love it. I love it. But when 
when Robert Williams is in the game, the Golden State Warriors paint touches, scoring inside, it literally, like, dwindles down to zero. Robert Williams is single-handedly shutting down the paint of the Golden State Warriors. So anytime, even when he gets little small foul calls, he literally, he literally, man, is shutting down the paint. He's still getting a hand on it. A couple of those foul calls, I believe they could have been blocked because it was ball, then contact. But I understand that the game happens so bang, bang, bang fast that some refs, you know, it may look like a foul when you look back at the replay. It's not because, but I understand. But Robin Williams is literally shutting down the paint, like shutting it down. Like is no is no scoring presence every time, and you know you know they're thinking about him because every time they get the ball, it's a slight pause before they go up. It's a slight look away instead of looking at the rim. These are little small details that I see that's really bothering the uh, Warriors. Because honestly, man, like you really look at last series when they played Dallas, like they were just running nearly willy nilly and getting to the paint at will. This series is different. Boston is literally turning Golden State into a three-point shooting team. And I know that sounds crazy. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds stupid because Golden State is one of the best three-point shooting teams. They have some of the best three-point shooters in the history of basketball when it comes to shooting the ball. When I say some of, I mean Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. Those two can shoot the ball. (laughs) So... They're literally just nullifying them to literally, hey, we're not going to give you this mid-range because we're all going to collapse. We're all going to scramble out. And if you do shoot the three, the shoot the three is going to always be contested. I love this type of defense that Boston is giving. And the more and more I talk is the more and more I dig myself a hole for the pick that I made. But I'm going to explain it at the end of the podcast. So please, please stay for the whole episode because – I'm still going to stick with my Warriors pick in six. So I'm stubborn like that. But um, Boston scares me, man. They they really do. They scares me. They scare me a lot. And that's the honest to God truth. Now, can we talk about how Golden State is failing Steph Curry right now? Steve Kerr is failing Steph Curry right now. And I'm saying this strictly because Steph Curry, in all honesty, and I'm going to just be 100% real with you, the only two people who look like they they belong on the floor against Boston is Steph Curry and Andrew Wiggins. Steph Curry's shot-making ability, his way to create off the handle, and even though he's not necessarily finishing, in my opinion, very well, He's still getting paint touches, and he's forcing the defense to collapse. Andrew Wiggins' athleticism, his length, um, his his quick, twitchy muscles, how he just moves. He looks, athletically, he looks like he's the only one outside of Steph Curry that belongs on the floor. Steve Kerr got to find some type of adjustment to play these younger guys in spurts like Kaminga, like Moody, um, Moody, I'm sorry. Um, 
He has to he has to find uh even Elisa. 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 Elisa, that's how you pronounce his name. I'm sorry if I butcher your name, but I'm not good with pronouncing names anyway. I'm country anyway, but <laughs> that beside the point. But he has to find a way to play these guys in minutes to give Steph Curry some rest. Uh, Clay finally showed up with a Clay S game, but even though statistically there were good numbers, I'm gonna say something that's very unpopular, and I've been hearing people talk about it on sports shows, but um, I'm gonna go the opposite direction in what they're saying. Clay Thompson, even though he had a huge night scoring wise, in all honesty. Those points were quiet to me. <laughs> like it was very few times where I just feel like Clay, like every shot he made was just like, boom, momentum changer. Like, oh shit, Clay about to got dog room get off. It didn't feel that way. It didn't look that way. Yes, he made shots. Yes, he made a few tough shots, but it didn't feel that way. And I don't know what it is. I think just Clay just being out uh, two years practically. He's trying way too hard to score the basketball win. Before then, Clay used to make the simplest plays. He used to kiss. Keep it simple, solid. He used to keep it simple and solid. Now I just believe he's just forcing, forcing his hand. He's forcing the shot. He's forcing like. He's doing everything forcefully. Like, there's not no fluidity in what he's doing a lot of times because I believe he's still trying to prove himself that either whether it's to himself or whether it's to the critics, I believe he's trying to prove himself in the sense that I still got it. You know, the best way of proving yourself is just making simple plays, especially after injury. So... He has to he has to just find a way to really just impact the game and score timely, not bat breaking shots, but score timely shots and did that change the momentum of the game. Um, that's just my honest guy opinion. I believe Andrew Wiggins, he has to they have to find a way to keep him engaged the whole entire game. Cause I'll say this. Andrew Wiggins is their number two for this for this series. It's Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Klay Thompson, Jordan Poole, everybody else. You know, my honest to God opinion. That's how the score load should be distributed. Steph Curry, of course, is going to drop bombs. He's going to get his. All he need on his resume, his resume, just for accolade standpoints, is a finals MVP, which he should have, but they gave it to Andre Iguodala because he guarded LeBron James. And he slowed LeBron James down pretty much when LeBron averaged a triple-double. He slowed LeBron down. So they gave him the finals MVP. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you can see my face when I say that. And there's no disrespect to Andre Iguodala. I love, I love Iggy. Got some of the best hands and timing in basketball, period. Um, but that definitely should have been Steph Curry's. Um the first one definitely should have been. The other two, of course, you give it to KD. KD showed out and showed, came in and showed out. But um, like I was saying, only thing Steph Curry needs on his resume is a Finals MVP. 
And in order to get to that where he can get his finals MVP, the scoring distribution has to be Curry, Wiggins, Clay, Poole. But Poole hasn't been showing up anyway. So you got to find a way to keep Andre, I'm sorry, not Andre, Andrew Wiggins engaged and locked in the whole entire game because he was having a great first half. He was having a great first half. But towards the second half, whatever reason, he just fell off. And I believe a lot of that is because Golden State went into a more ISO-heavy game. You didn't see a lot of man movement, ball movement. You saw them trying to hunt matchups when Golden State never really played like that, honestly. The only time they played like that is when, of course, they had the best player in the world, in my opinion, is Kevin Durant. Um, Of course, you can just play ISO because it ain't no stopping a seven-footer who can shoot over anybody. And you have the spacing of Clay and Steph on the floor. You know, that way, you know, Draymond Green at that point will be a non-factor for the simple fact that he was getting dive cuts and getting easy, easy, uncontested layups. Uh, off of double teams. Kavar Looney, same thing in the dunker spot, opposite side. So, you know, Draymond to cut, they'll drop on Draymond. He dumps it off to Kavan. Boom, dunk. So, these are little small things that I really believe that Golden State needs to do. They need to stop playing so much ISO heavy hunting the matchup. They need to get more ball movement, man movement. <laughs> because they do not have the best ISO player on the court, the best I'm going to put you on the island guy on the court. They don't have the island guy. The closest one is Steph Curry, and even though he can put people on the island, I believe his game is not predicated to put people on the island. His game is predicated off of perpetual movement, constant movement, constant straining, getting players tired, worn out, getting open shots, getting curl baskets, um, creating open shots off of that. So, I believe they have to get less ISO heavy and get the ball moving so Andrew Wiggins can go and get some work because he had 18, but a lot of that came in the first half. And towards the second half, he disappeared because they went ISO heavy and Boston up their physicality. So Andrew Wiggins got to find a way to, you know, um, stay engaged the whole game because I believe he's the key factor if the Golden State wants to win this series. So, and the one thing that, that I noticed the most. Of course, we talked about earlier how they were just so lethargic. They were getting out rebounded. They didn't have Z they had they came out with zero championship energy. Let me say that. They came out with zero championship energy. And what I mean by that is when there's loose balls on the floor. Yes, Steph Curry was diving for loose balls, but if your superstar is the only one who's diving for loose balls. What does that say about your team? There's no energy. There's no urgency. There's no, like, we got to get this done right now because we're we not going to get another chance. It was none of that urgency that I've seen in the Golden State Warriors in game three. They were lethargic. They were walking around. Their body language was horrible. It was horrible. So, like, they were walking with zero confidence. And maybe that was just me that I just, I'm looking too much in it. But they walked around like, damn, we got to play these motherfuckers again. That's how they look to me. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how they look. The Warriors look small, old, and unathletic. 
They did all of game three. And the, the main reason that showed that was the rebounding. That was the number one thing that showed that they looked old. They looked slow. They looked unathletic. <laughs> they looked small. Like the rebounding, because ain't no way in hell you're the smaller team and you're not first to the ball when the ball hits the floor. There's no way that should ever, ever happen, ever. When the ball hits the floor, when the ball when the ball goes up for the rebound, it should be five people going after the rebound, and then you break out for the break. But Boston has a great transition defense. I think they was number one in, in transition um, transition defense. Can't do nothing about that besides doing what you're supposed to do. But when one person is out rebounding four, three, four Golden State Warriors in the area, that's an effort thing. That's an effort thing. It was a couple that was just like, all right, it was a size thing because Draymond blocked out Robin Williams and he just literally reached over him and grabbed the ball. You know, like, so it, it was just, all right, we got to do a better job. We got to find a way to get these rebounds because if we get these rebounds, we control the we control the pace of the game because now they only get one shot. Now you make them play that great solid defense the whole entire game. And let's anybody who play basketball knows any great defense. Yes, they're going to make second, third, the second and third rotation. Sometimes the fourth, but a lot of times they won't make the fifth or the sixth on these swings where the ball is just popping. It's hard to guard that. It's not that they can't. It's extremely hard to do. It's extremely hard to do. Most times you can do it probably maybe great about two or three times a game, once or twice a half, once or twice a quarter, for the simple fact that a lot of times it's hard to get that fifth, sixth rotation of the ball on offense as well, you know, where it's just like, ooh, I got a good shot. Nah, you got a great one. Oh. They closed out, pump fake drive. Oh, here you go, homeboy. Bang. All right, shit. Hell, dang. They closed out again. One more rotation. Another rotation. Boom. Now the defense is trembling and miscommunication is more liable to happen off of those. Does that make any sense? So breaking down the game in a sense where you understand the casual can understand that um, is nuances to how to beat great defenses, nuances to be a great offense. And Golden State Warriors, they haven't been doing those nuances that I was just saying about rotating the ball three, four, five, maybe six times to get that thing moving side to side off of movement. Um, but the Warriors have to do a better job. And can I say this? <laughs> can I say this? And I don't care what anybody say. The Warriors' defensive strategy fucking stinks. Is horrible because it ain't no way in hell that Steph Curry should keep getting switched on Tatum, Horford. Not as much, not as much Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown is more putting his head down against Draymond and just blowing by him because I believe he loved that matchup. I believe he believes Draymond Green cannot guard him, and uh, it's looking like it. <laughs> it's looking like it. Um, so. You know, that's why I say Jalen Brown is really making the case for MVP because he is going bonkers. Um, but the Warriors' defensive rotation sucks because for that reason, Curry can get switched on to Tatum, Horford, and even though he's trying his hardest, man, you can't. Curry's 6'2", 6'3", on a tall day. 
Jason Tatum, 6'9", 6'10". Al Horford, 6'11". What you expect Curry to do against that? And it was times where when he got switched on Horford, Horford just dove right to the front of the basket and just ducked in on him. They threw it high. He caught it, turned, and shot right over him. It, he don't see nobody. He's 6'11". In that case, so the Warriors have to do a better job of either stunting, hedging, and getting back, or whenever this happens, they got to – me personally, I suggest they trap hard. They either hedge hard or trap hard for the simple fact you can get the, the Warriors to – and they're smaller. Like I said, they're the smaller team, so they should be quicker to the ball, quicker on the defensive rotation. So once you trap, everybody – the the uh, trap guy stays with that man, and the guy who was guarding him aches out and go get loose, man, and it's into a scramble defense. That way now you can stop dribble-drive penetration off of that. So it's helping the helper. I know it's kind of hard to really explain because I can't really show you the visualization of what's going on, but people who play basketball understand what I'm talking about. And for the people who don't play basketball, I hope, I gave a great example or a good enough example so you can understand what I mean by that. So they have to do a better job of just if they want the Curry matchup, you're just going to have to beat the trap. That's my that's how I think they should run it. So um, that's just my adjustment. And uh, the last elephant in the room with Golden State game three fails, falls. Draymond really need to stop wilding. Draymond is wilding because like. He is wilding, like fouling for no reason, his antics. And don't get me wrong, I do not agree with what Boston did. But, you know, the F Draymond Green chance. But I understand. <laughs> I understand. I don't I don't condone it. I don't condone it. I believe, you know, it was distasteful. Uh, that man's family was there. But I understand. <laughs> so... I'm not necessarily just up in heels upset with the Boston Celtics fan. Hey, they fans, man. Fans are supposed to be outrageous. They're supposed to be robustious. Um, long as they don't disrespect or touch his family, I believe, you know, this is just me. I believe, you know, all is in fair game. That's just my honest to God opinion. Now, let's get into the final segment of this podcast, which is the game four adjustments that I think each team should make. I'm going to give them two adjustments, and then I'm going to still make my pick em, uh, my pick em, who I think going to win game four. I think you already know who I'm going to pick because, of course, who I picked in the finals. <laughs> but let me give you the reason why I picked them. So the game four adjustments that I think definitely need to happen is, just like I said, they need to keep Andrew Wiggins engaged for the whole entire four quarters. Uh, I believe he played very good defense. Um against Tatum, against Brown when he was guarding them. Um, He's a long, wiry, crazy, like, quick, fast, twitchy athlete. Like, like he is so twitchy, fast, athletic, and long. Like, so they have to find a way to keep him engaged. I think they really need to establish Andrew Wiggins as the number two in this series because he is the, he is the sole one that's playing right now that can match Boston athleticism, you know, in their youth. So he's the only one that I think that can match the athleticism per athleticism. Sometimes you got to meet a puncher. Everybody knowing boxer, sometimes you got to brawl the brawler. 
you know, all all honest guy opinion, you'd rather box the brawler, but sometimes you got to meet them on their level, just brawl the brawler, just to establish that you're not going to run away from this. And I believe um, Golden State need to establish Andrew Wiggins, letting them know, like Boston know, like, yeah, we got an athlete too, and we're going to feed him, and he's going to go at your head as well. Um, that's just one of the adjustments. And also the main adjustment that Golden State needs to needs to make the adjustment for the rest of the series. Golden State, if they don't gain rebound, if they don't control their turnovers, and if they don't find a way to get to the free throw line, this series is over in five. I truly believe that. If the Golden State, I'm going to say this one more time, if Golden State don't gain rebound, if they don't control turnovers, and if they don't find a way to get to the free throw line, this series is over in five. Because Golden State, it was two passes, Steph Curry. I'm just like, dude, you learned this in basic. You learned this when you was playing in rec league. Never throw cross-court passes, passes, especially in the full court. And he did it twice, once in the first quarter and once in the third. And I'm just like, Curry, come on, dude. You know better than this. You know better. You can't be this loose with the ball with a team that's athletic and a team that's dynamic when it comes to athleticism. Uh, I think Boston, the adjustment Boston needs to make, they just need to keep their foot on the gas. Don't let go of the rope. Don't let go of the rope. You've proven that you've done this time and time again where you'll come out and dominate one game and then come out and lay a goose egg. Not even goose egg. You'll lay a goddamn on. You'll lay a, a shit bird the next game for the simple fact you come out lethargic. You come out with no energy. You come out thinking that this game is already won because of what you did last game. They need to keep their foot on Golden State neck. They have to apply the pressure. They cannot come out lethargic. Control your energy. That's one thing you can always control as a player. You can control your effort. You can control your effort. You can control how you react to coaching and react to being ref. So control your effort. Do not come out lethargic. Do not come out like you've already won the series because you won a key game. Golden State is a championship team still at the end of the day, and they're going to come out and they're going to try to punch you in the mouth. Simple as that. And the last thing Boston need to do is just impose their youth, their athleticism, and their size. I believe they just need to repeat the same process as they did in game game three. Out-rebound them, force them into stupid turnovers, and find a way to get out in open court and insert your athletic dominance. Because that's what they did. They caused turnovers. They got out and ran the floor. They was overly, they was extremely physical. One, because the refs are letting it, um, letting them play as well. And I love that part of the game. They letting them play and letting the players decide the game. But at the same time, you have to control how physical the game is because you do not want to lose the integrity of the game or the tone of the game because you want to let them play. You still have to control the game when it comes to fouling situations. But I believe Boston just need to stay physical. They just need to keep digging into uh, Steph Curry uh, chest 
Now, the drop defense, I kind of get it, and I'll break that down in a later episode, especially um, seeing how game four, how they adjust. I want to adjust the drop defense uh, in a later episode because I, I think I understand what Yudoka is doing. I really do. I think I understand what he's doing because he's living and died by this. And I believe is if if they win, it was a great strategy. And I'll discuss that later in a later episode, probably the next one. But um, for sure that Boston needs to just insert their athleticism, their youth, their dominance on the glass, um, their dominance in the paint, getting plenty of pips, and definitely getting to the free throw line. So for anybody who don't know what pips mean, that means points in the paint. Um, so, yeah, but – this is so at the end of the day, who am I going to pick to win game four? Who? Honestly, got truth. I got Golden State winning game four. This is how I seen the series going. Boston win games one. Golden State win game two. Boston win games three. Golden State win game four, five, and six. That's just how I see it, and that's how I hope it goes. Because, like I said, I made the pick of Golden State in six. So. That's just how I see it. I got Golden State winning game four, and I got them winning by at least eight-plus points. Uh, I believe it will be a close game, but I believe late they will pull away. I believe Steph Curry would assert how great and how dominant he is. Um, So that's just my opinion. And like I said, I hope I'm right for, you know, my prediction's sake. So, I got Golden State winning game four, and I hope they win. So I just want to thank y'all again for tuning in to another episode. This is episode number two of the ATO podcast. I'm so happy I'm doing this right now. Uh, I'm getting a little consistent. I will try to get out the game four recap ASAP um, sooner than I've done game one, two, and three. Um, Try to get it out within the first 24 hours of the game getting done and recap. So, also be on the lookout. I'm looking into bringing in video into this podcast um, so I can upload a YouTube version to this. Um, so, I just want to thank y'all. Stay, stay. I'm going to keep y'all updated with all the moves that I'm making. Uh, I really love it. Um, really love talking, as you can see, because I'm talking right now about absolutely um, nothing. <laughs> but in all honesty and all seriousness, be on the lookout because I will be bringing a video version to the YouTube platform. I also have people that I got interviewed uh, that I will be interviewing lined up later on. Um, so I'm trying to get establish a routine of uploading a podcast before I bring on guests because I don't want to have another one of off the court podcast scenario where I record a little bit, stop, then start again. So I got people on the back burner that I am definitely want to interview. I'm definitely going to bring in. I got better equipment coming in soon, so the sound quality should be enhanced very very soon. So, yeah, man, I'm just I'm just growing growing and living. So, uh, I just want to thank y'all again for tuning in to this episode. Episode number 2 of the ATO podcast is done and we out. Peace.